The scripture reading from today is taken from Luke chapter 8. We're continuing working our way through the Gospels as we lead up to Good Friday, looking at the life of Jesus prior to his death. We'll be reading together from Luke chapter 8, the verses 22 to 39. 22 to 25 were the passages that we covered last week, which you may remember if you, if you were here. Um, and today we're covering the verses 26 to 39. You'll be able to find that on page 1191 of your pew Bible. Luke chapter 8, the verses 22 to 39. Jesus has just finished preaching and teaching and Uh, throughout the Galilean countryside, and then uh, he's made a decision to pass over from the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the lake, the Gentile side of the Sea of Galilee, another region on on the far side of the lake there. And that's just what we find in our passage today. Now, it happened on a certain day that he, that is Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased. And there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also, who had seen it, 
told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. Then he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So far, the word of God. Congregation loved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our passage today begins right on the heels of our Lord Jesus calming the storm. He and his disciples had just finished a very busy preaching tour in Galilee. Then they boarded a boat, likely a fishing boat belonging to the disciple Peter or one of the other disciples. And they had set sail across the Sea of Galilee. This was something that was familiar for the disciples, something that was comfortable for them, just daily routine. Brought them a little bit of peace in the midst of all the chaos that they had been experiencing over the last while, traveling from place to place. And Jesus had been so tired that he fell asleep in the bottom of the boat. A storm came on them whipping up the sea to such a point that they feared for their lives. But when Jesus rose up in answer to their cry and stilled the storm, they were even more afraid. And we saw that last week. Who is this, they said, that even the wind and the waves obey him? They saw the Lord exercise the power of God and they found it very frightening. It's with his calming of the storm and the wind and the waves obeying him fresh on their minds now that they pull their fishing boat up onto the beach and the 13 of them, Jesus and his 12 disciples, walk onto the shore. They must have been turning the events over and over in their minds, wondering how to respond, what to make of it and what it meant Jesus was. But they don't have much time to think about it. Because shortly after coming to shore, they hear a scream. It seems that they've put to shore near a place of tombs. And running down from the tombs comes a demon-possessed man, completely naked. He would have been filthy. He would have been covered in bruises and cuts and sores from the manacles that he had torn apart. He would have been ungroomed, unkempt. Nobody had been taking care of him. Nobody dared come near him. We read in the other Gospels that this demon-possessed man had another demon-possessed man in tow. Now, the fact that Luke doesn't mention this other demon-possessed man doesn't mean that he simply forgot him, but rather it goes to show how terrifying this particular demon-possessed man was. He was so violent and so expressive with such a reputation that in Luke's eyes, the other demon-possessed man wasn't even worth mentioning in comparison with this one. And was his response, his response, that later was the most important as well. 
Now the shriek of this demon-possessed man rises up from the tombs and he comes howling down from the hillside, naked, bedraggled, and terrifying. Can you imagine a sight like that? You can imagine how frightening it would have been for the disciples. And yet we see Jesus once more calm and in total control. Today, as we look at this passage, we'll see, having calmed the storm outside, Jesus now calms the storm within. And we'll see, first of all, that there's a parallel here that we are meant to see. Secondly, the, the liberty that Jesus brings that we're meant to stand in awe of. And third, the response that we are called to give. Now, there's no question that we are meant to see the parallel between the two situations that lay before us, the calming of the storm and the demon-possessed man. There's also no question that our attention is meant to be drawn to the differences between these two situations either. They're remarkable. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at some of the similarities first. In both situations, we see a reason for fear. We see a reason for terror. Jesus, it seems, is preparing his disciples by bringing them through this first cycle and then bringing them into the second. A place of confrontation where Jesus begins to reveal more of his power to his disciples as he teaches them who he is. In the first place, there's the storm outside that brings terror to the disciples in the place that they themselves should feel the most secure as fishermen, that sea of Galilee, a body of water where they had spent their days fishing and knew every square inch. Then in our text today, they meet a man who has a storm within, a man who has no control over the place in which he should feel the most secure. His very own body is betraying him because an outside force has control. A legion of demons has taken up residence inside him. How many is a legion? A legion is a unit of Roman soldiers that Luke's readers would have been familiar with. If a region of the empire needed to be subjugated, needed to be brought under the heel of Rome, a legion of soldiers, about 5,000 of them, would crush the local population under their sandals. They would, they would conquer them. They would completely dominate them. The word legion here doesn't mean that there are necessarily 5,000 demons inhabiting this man, but it says his name was legion because there are many It's a symbol of absolute power over a frightened population. These demons have absolute power over this man in his very body. He hurts people. He terrifies people. They try to bind him hand and foot with chains and shackles, but he is so strong that he breaks them apart. You can imagine the damage that this would do to his flesh as he tears his skin on the bonds that hold him in the effort to get away, and he's driven by the demons into the wilderness. Yes, he can't even control where he goes. The demons drive him. 
His body, which should be his haven, the the place where, if any, he should be comfortable and in control, his body has betrayed him, not answering to his wishes anymore. He's dangerous. There's a real reason for fear as the disciples face him. So in the first place, we see that reason for fear that is the parallel between the two in a place where there should be safety. In the second place, we see the power of God on display in the spoken word. The Lord Jesus shows his power over creation and over the spiritual world simply by speaking. Just as he calmed the raging storms with a rebuke, so too does he confront this man with a raging storm inside his soul with nothing more than his words. We see the response to that spoken word, the word of God. Yes, the demons try to preempt Jesus. They try to bargain They beg, don't send us into the abyss. Don't send us into hell. Send us into that herd of pigs over there. Don't send us to hell before our time. But once they've been told to go, they obey Jesus. Just as the storm the disciples had faced being rebuked by Jesus responded instantly, so too these demons being rebuked by Jesus, flee instantly. Last of all, we see the fearful response of the people to the miracle. How the disciples on the boat were filled with fear and how the Gadarenes, seeing what Jesus had done, were also filled with fear, verse 37, and asked him to leave. We are meant to see the parallels here, loved ones. But for what reason? Well, whenever we're meant to see parallels like this in the Bible, one of the main things that you should look out for is not just what is the same, but also what is different. And in the case of the demon-possessed man who was healed, there's so much to notice. The first main difference draws our attention to the huge emphasis on what the demon-possessed man was set free from. And what that teaches us about Jesus. And in the second place, the parallels between the account of the storm and the account of the man lead us to look at how the people responded and what differences there were between the two. So that brings us to our second point. Well, we're meant to see that there are two very similar accounts in how Jesus shows his power. There are also differences that draw our attention to Jesus Christ and his work in setting us free. In the first place, we see that Jesus is dealing with two very different areas of the created world here. When he dealt with the storm, he was wielding what the disciples could very clearly see was the power of Yahweh, the God of Israel, the power that, that we sang about when we sang Psalm 107 prior to the sermon. God spoke through the authors of the Old Testament time and time again using the imagery of power over the storms, over the seas, to show his ultimate power over all creation. For them, this was one of the biggest, most powerful, most violent 
things that they could face. And so if God showed his control over that, how much more could he not control the rest of creation? But authority over the physical world is one thing. The physical world, to a certain extent, just is from a human point of view. It doesn't fight you. There's no opposition there. But what about that part of the created world that is openly hostile towards him? Not just suffering from the the broken and fallen effects of sin, but that is openly hostile towards him. The demon-possessed man, the powers of the spiritual world that have set themselves up in opposition to him. That's why the healing of the demon-possessed man is, is so important. It's a step up, you might say, in Jesus' revelation of his power. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read about how the world we live in is under the influence of the one who is called the prince of the power of the air, Satan and his demons. And it reminds us that there is a spiritual world that exists. There is a spiritual war that is going on. But even though this world is filled with that pain and opposition, that warring, even in places where we should find rest and security, we are also reminded that there is one who is sovereign over all. Though the demons oppose him, when he commands, they must obey. When he's chosen to redeem someone, the power of Satan cannot withstand him. When it comes to you, you can look to him in faith. Because the power of Satan can't withstand him. It's not just the physical world that must bend the knee to him. The spiritual world must as well. He can set you free even from the power of the chains of sin, the lusts of the flesh, the things which can make yourself feel out of control and uncomfortable and even maybe chained in your own body and in your own world. The things that you struggle with are perhaps not the result of a legion of demons. But they are the result of a spiritual war all the same. Look to him and you'll find the words of Ephesians 2 to be true. Look to him who calms the storms and who commanded the powers of the spiritual world And they bent the knee. And you'll find these words of Ephesians 2 to be true. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is true for all who look to him in faith. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. If a legion of demons couldn't withstand him, even more, if Satan couldn't withstand him when he thought that he had victory in his hands at the cross, how much less can your chains stand before the one before whom the spiritual world must bow? But you don't know what I struggle with. You don't know the power that it has over me. True, maybe I don't. But consider what this man faced. There was more than just a storm inside. What the demon-possessed man of our text faced, what had a hold of him, was out deliberately out to humiliate and to destroy him. Look at how he was found before Jesus. He wore no clothes. Nudity was forbidden under Old Testament law, and the reason for that was that in the ancient world to be stripped of your clothing was to be in a state of total humiliation and disgrace. He lived under the chains of a power that wanted to humiliate him completely. More than that, it wanted to isolate him. It wanted to cut him off from the rest of society. It wanted to make him lonely. This is what sin does. He lived among the tombs. Living among the tombs meant that he would be totally unclean in Jewish society. Living in a Gentile, which is to say a non-Jewish community, as a Gentile himself, that might not have been a big deal. But the Jews would know to be around a dead body meant to be unclean. No one of any Jewish origin should be near him. Jesus, as a Jewish rabbi, really shouldn't come to him, really shouldn't associate him. He should be isolated. He should be alone. And on top of that, what he had done, who he was, cast fear into the hearts of all those who were around. The demonic chains that he had added to him on top of simply being possessed were humiliation and disgrace, isolation, the fear and the disgust of others. Maybe you felt that bit of protest. Yes, but you don't know what I'm dealing with. True. But I do know what the Lord Jesus faced on that day. The scriptures tell us what that man was dealing with. And look at what the Lord Jesus did for that man. 
He didn't do what other religious Jews would have been expected to do. He, he didn't fall back in fear either. Instead, he did what he came to do. So what did he come to do? Well, we're quite familiar with that in Luke by now. His opening sermon, when he began his ministry, he quoted the prophet Isaiah as a theme text for everything that would follow. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is what he came to do. He freed the man. He redeemed that man. Those unbound, destructive powers were brought to heal. Powers that were so far beyond the control of any of those who tried to chain and bind it. So far beyond the control of even this man himself. And yet, Jesus came to him. With the word, he healed him. Through the description of how oppressed this man truly was, we are now brought to stand in awe of how restored this man now is. He's not just restored in mind, dressed and sitting at the feet of Jesus. He is restored in his soul. He's become a Gentile follower of Jesus, sitting among the disciples sitting in his inner circle of friends. Though he was seen as the furthest possible choice that anyone else among the people of God could have considered to be a follower of God, Jesus, in his compassion, sailed across the sea to choose him. Do you feel further away than anyone else could imagine, even though you sit here among us, or even though you're watching over live stream. This is the Lord who sees you in your agony, loved ones, who sees you as you're bound up in sin. This is the Lord who comes to you and by His grace sets you free. The question is now how we respond to his lordship, having seen his work in the life of this man. And that brings us to our third point. Last of all, we see the responses of the people to the miracle of Jesus. If you remember what happened after the storm, the response of the disciples was just fear. The response of the disciples was terror. Well, there are three basic responses that are brought to our attention here, two, but one by implication. The first is that of the Gentiles. The second is that of the healed, formerly demon-possessed man. And the third, the one that's the absence of a, a response, really, which makes it interesting, is the response of the disciples. And we'll get into why their lack of response is so interesting shortly. The first, the response of the Gentile swineherders is the saddest. 
And the crowds come out cautiously, having heard the story of the herders who fled into the city and into the countryside. There's no missing what happened here for them. They would have seen some of those drowned pigs' bodies begin washing onto shore. Some of them would be floating. Some might have sunk. And they're afraid. Their response when they see the power of Jesus too free, too liberate, is not to come to him and say, Jesus, speak with us, teach us, Free us from the chains of sin. Instead, they're afraid. Afraid of his holiness. Afraid of his power. They want to put distance between him and themselves. They see the healed man sitting in his right mind. That is not something that they want to embrace. They're afraid. And so they distance themselves from Jesus. They're afraid, but not all of them. One commentator describes it in this way. When Jesus reveals his power and holiness, people are afraid. But one man wasn't. One man's fears were removed, and he sat in his right mind at the feet of Christ. This restored man begged Jesus to allow him to stay with him, but Jesus sent him away with this order, return home and tell how much God has done for you. It was perfectly natural for this man who had known unbelievable torment after being released of this torment by the work of Christ to want to stay with Jesus. But Jesus gave him a mission immediately sending him to his own home that he might have a ministry there telling of the great things God had done for him. This is the response of the demon-possessed man. And that leads us to the final response. As we look at the parallels of the two accounts, we are also brought to see what the differences are, right? And this is a difference. Look at the response that's missing. The one that was there when the storm arose, the response of fear, but the one that's not there now. The response of the disciples. The question is deliberately left hanging. How will the disciples respond when they see Jesus' power and holiness? The question is left open to the reader, too, as they are working their way through the Gospel of Luke. It's natural that the first response is fear, which the disciples had seen in, his, in their response to the storm. But as his Gospel continues to unfold, the question is left open to the reader as well. How will you respond? We don't read about their response because we're not meant to learn first and foremost from their response. They and we, in their absence of response, are meant to 
point the lens towards the one who does respond. They are meant to learn from the demon-possessed man's response. That's what their absence of a response shows us. And that is the heart of this text today. What does such a response result in for our formerly demon-possessed man? Verse 39. Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Eventually, we see, by God's grace, that the disciples did respond. The answer of the disciples is one that comes only a chapter later. It's the same answer that the demon himself had screamed out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But while it was spoken in fear and trembling by the demon who is terrified of judgment, it's spoken in reverence and awe by the disciples who are finally led to know who he is. In Luke chapter 9, verse 20, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. That was the response that came after everything was left hanging. And the response that's left behind now is, or the question that's left behind now is, what is your response? Today, with the world as we find it right now, it's easy to focus on the things that we can't control. It's easy to focus on the fear that that stirs up in our hearts. It's easy to feel isolated, to feel alone. It's easy to respond with anger. It's easy to respond in those different ways. But it's a response of faith to sit at the feet of the Holy One. The one who brings so much fear to others because of his perfection and, and power. It's a response of faith to want to be with him forever, to follow him wherever he goes because of what he has done for you. It's a response of faith and a response of the working of the Holy Spirit in your own life to see to have your eyes open to what the Lord Jesus has done for you. We see as well with this man, not just the great thing, no, no, not just the release from sin as he came to Jesus, but the fact that he came across the sea to choose him, to give him new life, to redeem him, from a, him to a right relationship with God, to call him a follower and let him bear the name of Christ wherever he went, to give him a new task, to tell the world what Jesus had done for him. This was no accident. 
Jesus came to do this. And was Jesus. That last bit may have been something that you missed, but the demon-possessed man had it right. Jesus said, go tell how much God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Come to Jesus, loved ones, the one who first came to you. In the words of Isaiah, in response to those words of Isaiah, which Jesus had as his theme in his ministry. Come, you weary, you poor, you brokenhearted, you oppressed, you blind and in need of his spirit to give you sight because he brings healing for your souls. Sit at the feet of Jesus as you read his word. Beg him in prayer to teach you. Beg him to stay. And tell of all, to all who will hear by the power of his spirit who lives within you, who has brought you to this point, what great things he has done for you. Amen.